0: Hello and welcome to the Cambridge Judge Business Debate. My name is Michael Kitson and I'm an economist here at Judge Business School in Cambridge. In this series, specialists from the Cambridge Judge Business School and the wider Cambridge community discuss and debate topical issues of business and management. In today's session, we are focusing on leadership. Leadership is a nebulous concept that means different things to different people. And it can vary from situation to situation. For instance, it can relate to business leadership, political leadership or leadership in the community. Joining me to make sense of the current state of leadership are two colleagues from the Judge Business School, Dr Simon Learmount, who's lecturer in corporate governance and fellow of Pembroke College, and Dr Thomas Roulet, who's university senior lecturer in organisation theory and fellow of Girton College. So welcome both Thomas and Simon. Let's kick off, we're in a business school. Um, Can we teach leadership or or are leaders born rather than made? Good question. I have the pleasure of teaching leadership
1: in the MBA here at the Cambridge Judge Business School and in other programmes. Uh, and the question, are we born leader or are we made leader? If we were a born leader, I would be unemployed. I can resign and I'm absolutely useless in the classroom. So hopefully we can be made leaders and we can learn a few good tips to be a good leader.
2: So, so what, do, what do we teach in leadership? I mean, what are the key elements of teaching leadership? So I, I, I kind of quite like this, this analogy of... Um, whether we can sing or not, you know, who's what, what constitutes a good singer, and it's similar to kind of leadership in a way. Um, everyone can more or less hold a tune. Okay, there are some people who are tone deaf, and they're never going to be great singers. Maybe there are some people who are just, you know, never ever going to be leaders. Um, but um, pretty much everyone's got something in them that enables them to kind of sing, and with a bit of training, with a bit of development, reflection, thinking about, you know, what you can improve, the characteristics that are important. I think you can make you know significant improvements and those are the kinds of things that we we maybe teach here Um, there are though of course I think some people who just have that special quality you know the person who's going to be a great opera singer or you know Adele or whatever it is who really has something special they still need to be trained they still need to be developed and to think about the, the you know what what it means to be a great singer or, or a great leader and I think you know one of the things that we need to do is try and you know develop the skills that are there to the best of our, our ability. So that's the kind of thing I think we try to do at the So what is this special school?
0: thing that makes great <laughs> leaders?
1: I think one key characteristic of good leaders is that they have the ability to build this interpersonal relationship with others uh, and followers need to feel special in their relationship with a good leader. So this ability to build a personalized relationship with all of your followers is what makes you a good leader and that's something that you need to work on to develop. Yeah,
2: and I, th- I think that's, that's also something that speaks to this idea of charisma. I mean, what makes sense to other people in terms of developing that interpersonal relationship. Other people look to someone as a leader. If they have this thing called charisma, this kind of slightly nebulous uh, uh, concept, I think it's quite well related to this idea of, um, it's an old idea, it's been around in the academic literature for a long time, the, the idea of referent power. It's that idea of there's, there's something about the networks or the past or the conduct of, 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 of someone that gives them this ca- kind of characteristic that means that people like to interact with that person. That person has a, you know, a very good way of interacting with, uh, with other people.
0: If if we look at the political domain, we see very many charismatic leaders um, not necessarily being very inclusive, charismatic leaders. Thomas?
1: Yes, I mean, uh, we can see that there is a new style of leadership, a new dramaturgy in leadership, because we see many leaders being voluntarily very divisive. Uh, We have seen it with Trump, we see it with Boris Johnson, a lot of those political leaders they try to shock audiences to gain visibility. Uh, but potentially it can create more division, you know, it can polarize audiences uh, even more, create boundaries between the in-group and the out-group around race, culture, sexuality, creating new divides. Um, and so there is one definition of divisive leadership, uh, which is the definition by Yamarino and Dancero. It's the focus on the differences among individuals and form a relationship with only some individuals based on the differences among them. So, creating division between groups to better lead them to support
0: your claims this this notion of div- is it divis- divisive leadership? divisive divisive leadership i mean that does that reflect the the, the sort of the, the wider economic and social conditions in different parts of society i mean we, we see these sort of sorts of leaders arising when there 's either high levels of unemployment or high levels of poverty or social unrest i mean are they a, are they contingent on what's going on in the wider economy and wider society?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the more uh, the more society struggles, uh, the more difficulties we're experiencing, the easier it is to generate culprits, you know, to accuse other people of being responsible for a difficult situation. And it sounds like a very easy answer that people can potentially adhere to. So uh, divisive leadership in the current context uh, has worked pretty well. If we look at uh, the current uh, opinion polls for Boris Johnson or
0: for Trump, uh, it has worked quite well for political leaders at least. And it works in times of, of trouble like the 1930s or the 1970s, when you see these, these sorts of leaders rising because of problems of unemployment and, and this notion of othering, where you, you blame others for your, for your problems. You blame, you blame foreign governments or you blame foreign people or you blame foreign corporations. You blame other people and become inward looking.
1: Yes, you become inward-looking and uh, you create a, a stronger group turned against another out group. So you create boundaries between your in-group and your outgroup group and a division, uh, as you said, a division that can be about blaming others for your own uh, difficulties.
2: Mm. I, I just wonder whether this is also partly um, a kind of result of increasing fragmentation that we see in different parts of society, also different parts of the, the economy. So um, thinking about businesses, um, my, my sense is leadership is failing in business. I mean, there have been huge numbers of um, uh, you know, business leaders, some of whom have been held up as you know, great leaders for many, many years. You think of pe- people like Carlos Ghosn, um, you think of people like Martin Winterkorn at VW. Um, you know, people who've made really significant um, uh, contributions to their organisations and to the economy and to actually the countries that they're, they're uh, working in. Um, but they, they've failed recently, arguably because they have focused too much on their, the, the power that they generate in a quite narrow area. So think about it, think about it not, not in terms of um, kind of actively trying to divide but actually focusing on a group which has important power. So in, in for example, Carlos Ghosn's case, and arguably uh, Martin Vinterkorn's case, um, trying to satisfy shareholders. You know, the capital markets, the shareholders, the institutional investors have an enormous amount of power. Uh, they have huge voice um, and they have huge economic power. So actually kind of tr- just, just trying to focus on doing the right thing by them because they are you know, the most significant parties in the uh, in, in, in these companies and in, in the economy at the moment, um, has been a, a means of success. But what that has done is, is it, it's meant that they've taken their attention away from other really, really important groups like employees, like local communities, um, like um, government and regulators to, 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 to some extent. Um, so you know it's a, it's part of the you know the general power system i think you know identifying the people who are going to be really important in supporting you it's the same in politics it's, i think it's the same in, uh, in 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 government but then that begins to break down if we have um, other you know parts of society being able to get some voice and get some traction
0: so do we need a new form of leadership then leaders who don't maximise the returns for shareholders, but basically keep a wide constituency happy or satisfied. Do they have to? Is, it sort of a new, is there a new role here?
2: Well, I think I think this is this is the kind of key question because I mean it'd be interesting to hear what Thomas um, has to say about the you know the political side of things. But um, it feels to me that there is this this sense out there um, that there are a lot of people who are excluded okay they 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 they're not being included um, in the uh, in, in the discourse um, and that is the thing that's that's kind of causing causing the problems i think we are beginning to see some leaders who are in the business sphere who are aware of this and are trying to address this but it's not in, in my feeling it's 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 in the air but it's not something that's being articulated clearly yet i think there's still kind of this, this power struggle, you know, is it the capital markets, is it the you know the financial interests that are the most important stakeholders uh, as it were, therefore the business leaders need to address their needs, or are we going to see, maybe in the 2020 presidential elections in the US, are we going to see people like Elizabeth Warren getting a bigger platform saying, you know, we need to have a much more accountable, a much more inclusive capitalism um, you know and I, I, I think some of the political um, issues may be played out around this area this in, in, in 2020 between Trump and people who are you know, so-called socialists um, uh, in the US. Thomas? Well,
1: I mean what Simon has identified is, is crucial. You know this idea that leaders tend to play different stakeholders against each other. They might privilege or favor one type of stakeholders. Uh, against other, uh, and this might work for a while but there are diminishing returns to such strategy and it's very hard to anticipate a priori who are the stakeholders on the longer term that will affect the bottom line of your organization. So you can focus on one crucial stakeholder for example the shareholders for a little while uh, but as, as the voice of the employee uh, starts getting heard potentially you can have a major backlash you know and, and this idea of focusing on on the key stakeholders will, will yield diminishing returns and ultimately uh, this might go against them. This will uh, this will generate some backlash, they will uh, they will generate to bring back all the constituencies of their organization together uh, to face the new crisis, the new challenges uh, that, that might be coming their way.
2: Yeah I mean I think this is a really good idea I think worth, worth pursuing. It goes back to One of the points we made earlier on about leadership, about being, is interpersonal. It's about interdependence. You know, you can't lead unless there are people there to be led, and people give the leader that authority to, to lead. Um, And this this idea of you know dividing, you know, the divisive leadership, just trying to you know focus on on a particular group, can only work for a short period of time. What we need to have, you know, ultimately, are leaders who can speak to multiple constituents, multiple stakeholders, and bring them along. And I think there's, there's, there's actually another really important um, phenomenon that's happening at the moment, which is to, to, to do with kind of digital democratisation, for, for, for want of a better word. P- employees are getting a better voice. They're able to kind of coalesce around causes. They're able to kind of express themselves much more clearly to the People who run the organisations, or run the uh, institutions, or, uh, or or communities that they um, they they're, they're, they're part of, um, and I th- I think the greater expression of that voice means that um, you know leaders are going to have to wake up and pay attention to those and act on.
0: So the pressure is going to come from below for leaders to change.
2: It's it's in that interdependence, I think. So so yes, it's 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 between. You know the, the the people doing the running of the stuff, and the people who are um, who 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 are there doing the. So so stuff.
0: I, I just trying to unpack this. You you have to then change the the power relationships for for otherwise leaders aren't going to change. I mean, if if the shareholders have all the power, then you just keep the shareholders happy. If you've got a big enough core constituency who is who are voting for you, then you just keep them happy. You've you've got to change the, the underlying power structures beneath the leaders, otherwise they're not going to change, are they? They're just going to focus on the core group or the core constituency.
1: Yes, but uh, leaders often have the idea that they know about the power structure and that they understand them and that they are only visible, those power structures. But one of the key characteristics of a good leader is whether they are fair or not. If you are only favouring one of your stakeholders against the other, those other stakeholders they will stop following you and you cannot move forward without a broad support. So. If stakeholders like employees feel like you're not being a fair leader, they will withdraw their support. And without the employees, you cannot satisfy your main stakeholder, whether they are the shareholders or other ones. Uh, So this idea of power structure, yes, it's key. But what we often forget is that a lot of those power structures are invisible. And without the followership of your employees, you will not be able to satisfy
0: other stakeholders. So is this moving to a... a a new form of capitalism because I mean I mean this sort of uh, we, we've had the sort of the the, the shareholder capitalism uh, are we seeing much more of a form to a, some sort of stakeholder capitalism where both in, um, customers and employees are and having wh- I suppose more influence
2: w- one way of beginning to kind of answer that very very important and wide ranging uh, question is to is to think about um, the ways in which some quite successful leaders are beginning to uh, manage the organisations that we study uh, kind of slightly differently. One of the things that, 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 that strikes me is, is there does seem to be a, um, a difference between those companies which just express their kind of core purpose as being about delivering shareholder value and focusing on return on equity and so on and so forth, um, many of which firms are not doing as well, maybe as they uh, as they as they were in the past, versus those uh, those leaders who are expressing kind of slightly different purpose and and, and values, I suppose, for their 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 organisations, which are much more about sustainability. Um, they're much more about um, the quality or the service that is being offered, um, and wanting to make sure that they deliver value to the customers, or um, you know the you know the, the, the different stakeholders. Um, so, I mean, in the former camp, I would put companies like Carillion. Carillion, huge failure here in the UK uh, last year, um, which... Um, so just
0: tell us about that failure.
2: So, well, I mean, Carillion is a really interesting um, company insofar as, if you just looked at the bald statistics of the company, how, how it was performing, it had year-on-year dividend growth um, for the past 20 years. It was growing enormously in terms of Revenues. It went on a big acquisition spree. Um, it was a five billion pound company at the end of last uh, last year, um, but it suddenly collapsed after three quite quick uh, profit warnings, um, and the parliamentary inquiry that took place after the uh, the collapse w- was absolutely, you know, shocking in a, in in a way. It showed that the directors were just focused on meeting the needs of the shareholders, providing kind of dividend growth, uh, you know. <coughs> growing revenues as far as they could, but all of this disguised the fact that it wasn't really a profitable business. Um, it had huge amounts of debt, um, and <coughs> they. It seems as if they didn't really care about the businesses that they were in. They weren't worried about the hospital contracts and the great infrastructure projects and the schools and so on that they were um, supposed to be building and uh, and and. And delivering, and what Frank Field, who chaired the parliamentary inquiry, said it was a story of recklessness, hu- hubris, and greed. Uh, in the end, that's what the the leaders of the company's um, epitaph is going to be. Um, you know, they weren't there thinking about you know how we're we going to deliver a great service or a great you know product uh, to society or to our customers.
1: And by contrast, if we think about firms like uh, Danone, for example, and the current CEO Emmanuel Faber is very much to turns. It is very much turned towards uh, a broader range of stakeholders, and he's trying to kind of like tweak his relationship with shareholders so that they realize that if the firm is benefiting a whole range of stakeholders, ultimately it will be good for the for the shareholders as well. Uh, so this idea that we create more value by being more inclusive with regards to our relationship with a variety of stakeholders and not only the shareholders. So there are alternative models
0: that are uh, being built. There are alternative models but it's the same long-run
2: objective is
0: to maximise profits for the business, is it?
2: Um, <clears throat> uh, let me give you an example of, a, of a, a great leader that, in my view, that we lost this year, in January this year, Herb Kelleher at Southwest Airlines, um, uh, unfortunately passed away. Um, and Southwest is a fascinating uh, organisation. As far as I understand, it's the only US airline that's never been in Chapter 11. And yet at the same time, it, it had um, some of the worst corporate governance reports. Um, if you look at the various kind of indices that purport to measure you know, how, how well governed a company is, it didn't seem to be governed that well. You know, Lots of Herb's friends were on the board and, and so on. However, what they had was really clear purpose and really good values. Yeah, what they wanted to do <coughs> is make sure that their employees were really, really well looked after. They saw the employees as, as the lifeblood of the organisation. They wanted to make sure that they were happy because they knew that if they were happy, they'd then deliver that happiness on to the customers. And if you've ever flown Southwest, you'll know what I'm talking about. It was fun going and, f- and flying on the um, on, on on this airline. You know. Um, they had their you know same problems with delays and with um, you know profitability it's a low cost uh, carrier but they they succeeded really really well and if you if you it's, it's worth looking on YouTube for example and listening to some of herb Keller's uh, speeches, what he was able to do is inculcate in the employees and then therefore in the customers this sense of this being a really really good airline that's going to deliver a good product i.e. it's going to get you. Enjoyably from A to B, um, and it was it was you know broadly successful. They didn't focus on the bottom line; that came afterwards. Yeah, that was the the, the necessary outcome of actually delivering something that was good in its own. But right. it, it did deliver profits Absolutely. in the long run. So you, you look after
0: all of your stakeholders. Yeah. To, yeah. Realize. But what he profit.
2: would argue is is the, the you know the primary you know focus of running a business. Is to do that good stuff you know to have good employees satisfied customers and so on the profit comes afterwards and I think sometimes the kind of the neoclassical e- economists get it the wrong way around they say the, f- the ultimate focus has got to be on generating the the um, you know the revenues pr- pr- creating profit and so on um, and if we do if we focus on that then you know necessarily will deliver to society and to customers. I think, you know, maybe that's one of the things that's got to change in a lot of leaders' minds, get this thing the other way around.
0: What what do you think about the the main challenges facing leaders either in the political domain or in the business domain are at the moment, the, the emerging challenges? I think you mentioned sort of the digitization and uh, the way that may be empowering people. What other challenges are, are important here? I mean, I think for both political and business leaders, uh,
1: there are challenges around fighting for the truth. I mean, you see that with this devising form of leadership, is a lot of leaders uh, rely on, on erroneous information or caricatural information, or things that are just not true uh, and are not uh, are not truthful to reality and the reality of uh, the experience of their constituent of their constituents. Uh, and to some extent, uh, you have uh, the same problem with business leaders. You know. Uh, business leaders have a role of uh, telling their employees the way things are but also they need to give them hope that things can, can improve without departing from, from reality. Uh, so I think, I think this will be a key, a key element, the fight for truth, uh, for talking the truth without bending the reality and without uh, getting people to, to hear what they want to hear. Uh, but
0: rather what they should hear to move forward. How do we do that? Because it seems to be, this is a very important point, that um, charisma seems to be dominating truth. I mean, truth doesn't seem to matter, in some cases, and it, it always, it's, it's way down the list of priorities. You, you, you tell stories that people want to hear and not based on truth. We, we, we've seen that in, in many political campaigns, that Brexit on both sides and here in the UK, the Trump in the United States, challenges in, in Europe, many parts of Europe. Um, how do, we de- how, do we, how do we deal with this, this challenge of trying to get truth to be back at the top of the agenda?
1: Well, I think that's the, that's the key problem. I don't have a clear solution because I think it's uh, very very difficult for good, fair, ethical leaders to fight with weaker weapons because obviously if they have uh, to tell the truth and they are fighting against people that have no care for the truth, it makes their, their mission extremely difficult uh, and uh, they start with a disadvantage. So being at a disadvantage but still being able to convince uh, your followers, to convince your constituents that your way is is the best way, uh, I think it takes a lot of leadership skills. Uh, But for those leaders that will be able to convince their constituents that they uh, they are supporting a realist vision, but also a vision that is not dividing the constituents, not dividing the people, but bringing them together, those leaders that are successful, they will be able to gather huge crowds. But there is a very high threshold for being able to do so because of those opponents bending the truth and bending reality on social media uh, to to garner voters.
2: The uh, part of the answer has to be around trying to understand um, what are good, I uh, use the word guardedly, but universal kind of values and, uh, and, and, and ethics, those kind of values that can promote inclusivity. I think partly what we're seeing in politics, but also what we're seeing in, in, in business is, people can garner power, they can gra- grab onto power by being divisive, they can look for the, the biggest minority, that, that small group that's going to kind of give them that, that platform. Um, and if that's the focus, then what you're going to do is you're going to bend the truth. You're going to, you know, focus on facts that, you know, the alternative facts or whatever it is that, you know, are, are, are going to please the, you know, that particular group that you've identified that's going to give you the be the source of your, your power. In the case of um, business, it's more about, you know, sh- stake uh, shareholders in, t- in terms of. Um, Uh, politics is maybe more about um, you know particular you know hot hot topics that um, get people kind of quite uh, quite well motivated but if we can think you know more broadly about just you know what is right you know what is what is it that brings us together uh, rather than kind of divides us what are those kind of values that we can we can all kind of agree on that may be more helpful but i think i think this is this is a really important issue for our age i mean not the leadership aspect of it but you know this 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 fact that we're seeing increasing fragmentation we're seeing people that are able to kind of coalesce around particular you know ideas and 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 rhetoric and discourse that um that really is motivating to to to, to, to groups of people but is also you know, alienating to uh, many other people. What we need is leaders to actually, I think, be much more positive about um, their role, you know, and to actually try and actively seek out this inclusivity, you know, the the values and ideas and ethics that um, can bring people together.
0: But but telling the truth is important for business leaders. I mean, there there are challenges for many businesses about lack of transparency. The the
2: latest polls from Ipsos Mori and and so on say that CEO credibility is at an all-time low and is going down. So I think in in the UK at the moment, less than uh, or fewer than 24% of of people would trust a chief exec to tell the truth. Um, It's a little bit stronger actually in the US. I think it's about 35%, 38%. Um, But it's going down Um, and, you know, most people do not trust business leaders, they do not trust politicians. They're they're more likely to to trust the hairdresser or the average person in the the street rather than the... um... Can we reverse that?
0: That trend and do business schools have a role?
2: Well I think it's a I, my, my own sense is it's about conduct uh, as well as about you know what we say um, it's about what we do I think leading by example this this idea which is becoming quite strong in corporate governance at the moment which is to do with the importance of tone from the top you know actually what you say what you do the way you behave the actions that you take being really really consistent and showing that you do have this inclusive uh, approach. You're not prioritising particular interest groups. Um, I think I think that, that's important. But I think it has to come from what we do, rather than just what we say and what we what we talk about.
1: Yes, I think we invite students to be ethically uh, fair, to engage in ethical conduct. Uh, it's not only about teaching it, but it's also mm-hmm. about practising it. Uh, but I think here at the Cambridge Judge Business School, the idea is to show to students that um, any victory is worthless if it's not a fair victory that you have obtained with fair means and ethical conduct.
0: Good. Thank you very much for Simon Lamont and Dr Thomas Roulet uh, for contributing today on on leadership. And perhaps we ended there on a positive note for um, the role of business schools in these uh, challenging times for leadership, both in the political and in the business domain. Thank you for joining us and I hope you can join us next time.